Our guest today is from the Humboldt Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. She's actually their director of lifespan religious exploration, and she she is pretty awesome. I'll be 100% honest, she's amazing. I had so much fun sitting down and talking with her. We talked about really a wide variety of topics. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know my standing with religion is a little murky and confusing at times. And it was just really great to sit and talk with her about Huff and what they stand for and what that community is working towards. Again, she's amazing. I know, I say that all the time. I mean it. It was just, it was a great conversation. I'm incredibly thankful that she came on and took the time to sit down and humor my conversation. She's awesome. I'm going to let her take over from here. Please give it up for Amy Day. do hour-long conversations or um, what's your preference it depends i don't really have a preference yeah it's kind of based on how the conversation goes right. some of them have probably been too long i've done five hour ones and that oh gets my gosh a little, yeah five hours did you release that in several parts or? no just one long Dang. clip yeah i do the one yeah one and done and you do all your own editing and everything yeah. it's not quite big enough for me to contract that out yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. i enjoy it this is the fun part the editing is a little more work but i, it's I had a it. podcast for a, a yeah with a buddy for a while and oh did yeah, you the editing was like oh my god you guys did it all yourself <laughs> we i noticed that as soon as she kind of moved on to other things like that was when production went from like a weekly thing to like eh, maybe it's monthly maybe it's court maybe we're not doing it anymore because it's a lot of work to take on, on and if own. you get backloaded it starts oh, it God. gets dangerous yeah <laughs> well and then you lose a little bit of that kind of like a little bit of the enthusiasm almost you know it's like it's not quite as immediate you know the conversation took a place a while back it doesn't feel quite as relevant and yeah totally that's the problem i've noticed is if you wait too long then you're editing it and all the points that you're making are outdated and it's like this happened a month right. ago nobody's yeah. gonna want to listen to this now that's yeah. one of the balancing acts is trying to get the speed as well as make it a good make it a good conversation yeah, yeah. well especially if you haven't figured out how to pay yourself from it yet it's like how do you balance that with the pressures, things that do yeah. pay the bills the pressure's and, on what yeah. was your podcast about um, you know, we started talking about it was right when um cannabis legalization was coming online and you know, a lot of the permits and all of that was coming through and so we wanted to kind of do this like look at what the cannabis culture had been in this area and what legalization was likely going to turn it into. Um, so we kind of looked at it, this kind of like dying, you know, almost kind of like a dying tribe, like how you would go as an anthropologist into an area. If you know, like you're watching a tribe die out and you're like, well, this is it. This is the way, the, the end of a certain way of life. Um, so yeah, we did that for a season and then kind of pivoted into some other things and yeah, it's still out there. I pay for the, you know, for it to live on. It just hasn't been touched in a while. Hasn't been updated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's an interesting take. Are you are you from here? Are you from Humboldt? You know, I've I've lived here long enough that I kind of feel like I, I get to call myself a local. I moved up here as a teenager. I'm okay. F- I'm forty. Now, yeah, I think that so counts. I, was like, I think you're yeah. in. 
Yeah, yeah. Why the take on cannabis? Is that just a geographic choice where we are kind of in the heart of it? No, no. I mean, my, my life had definitely been touched by the cannabis world, you know, and my friend as well. And so it just kind of, it was still at that time where people didn't really feel comfortable telling their stories, you know? They really, you know, a lot of people still wanted to use aliases. Um, yeah, and I think just it was something near and dear to our hearts because we knew, you know, having been close to that world for a long time, we knew, um, I mean, because there was kind of like the the larger perception of it, you know, it's just like, oh, these, you know, I don't know if I can swear on you. you I don't even know yeah. if we're recording yeah, or we're not. Going, yeah. Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah, hey, here we swear. are. You can <laughs> swear. This, this is where we were going to start, but Everything here we are. Goes. Um, yeah. You know, there was the perception of like the grower and who just, you know, comes up here and, you know, is just trying to extract and make a shit ton of money and is putting up all these greenhouses. And and that's where things had have gone, obviously. But we also knew that it had this much more humble origin story that didn't really get as much um, airtime. And so we wanted to to tell those stories um, because those were those were the people that weren't going to be able to make the transition, you know, like and a lot of them didn't because they were always just these really small time farmers just wanted to live a really simple, peaceful, self-sustaining life. And they can't. Got pushed out. They can't. Yeah, totally. You know, and then a lot of people weren't able to, you know, there was no like job retraining. It's not like, you know, like the steel mill closed down and it was like, it's okay. We're going to teach you how to make fiber optic cables. You know, it was just a whole group of people that had, you know, been trying to live a simple, peaceful life. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm in my fifties. I'm in my sixties. I have no idea how to, you know, do anything else. Do Yeah. Do anything else. And, you know, pivot at this, this age. And so, yeah, that was the the stories that we wanted to tell. So well, it, it's very tied to agriculture as a whole in that sense, right? Those mom and pop farmers mm-hmm. that get pushed out when big business comes in and buys up all the land. I think Bill Gates is now the number one owner of farmland in the United States. Oh, gross! Which how yeah. crazy is that? <laughs> and then all these people who have just been doing it as a way of life, subsistence mm-hmm. farming, they just get pushed to the wayside. Yeah. And cannabis, especially that lifestyle of just being one with the nature, that is so entwined mm-hmm. with the plant mm-hmm. and to just lose that because some tobacco industry came in and now they're you can't compete with them how yeah. do you compete with a business that big yeah and i mean it's everything because you look at our area right now right with like you know the housing issues going on and i mean i can imagine being a young family trying to think about first-time home ownership you know like wages haven't have stagnated here for how many decades and um, you know, and you have how many like, you know, mega conglomerates coming in and buying up all the little cottages and renovating them and turning them into, you know, $300 a night Airbnbs. Like, so it's, it's pretty widespread, you know, st- systemic. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any industry is safe. When, when they realize that there's money to be made. Yeah, right. It's, it's a fair game. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Do you, do you have any ties to the cannabis industry in a growing sense or were you just consuming? No, no. I, I, I'm one of those, those rare people in Humboldt County that I actually, I, I, um, I, 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 I can't smoke pot. It makes me a weirdo. Yeah. I get oh, very really? paranoid. And it's not a good plant for me. No, no problem with people that enjoy that. They should enjoy that. I, it's not something, it's not the plant for me. Um, I had to learn that the hard way several times as a teenager first Trial moving up here. Like, oh my God, why does everyone else seem to be having a fun time? I'm not having a fun time. 
that's so funny that you did a podcast on cannabis then it it was more it was the it was the people i wanted to tell those stories of the people and the way that they were choosing to um to live in just this more simple sustainable manner you know because you were looking at the lifestyle yeah yeah i really wanted to tell those stories you know the people that kind of had that initial like back to the land um i mean because what it's become now is just this gross extractive you know one more extractive capitalist you know mega business um and that's not interesting <laughs> you know but people that you know just want to live in a really beautiful um you know outside the system kind of way that's a story i'm interested in so yeah it was more that weed well, i don't i don't know how much i care about weed to be honest you know <laughs> it's more it's it was the, the people connected to them yeah yeah did you bring on people that were in that realm the cannabis realm to talk to yeah yeah so it's all lives um i'm gonna have to check on, out your podcast yeah yeah, yeah. so um mend is what we yeah so i think our website's mendpodcast.com if you go there you can find all this so we had some um we had some trimmers we had some growers we had some people that were you know kind of been living under the radar doing some quote-unquote distribution out in you know other parts of the the u.s and um so just you know people who had been touched by that and worked in that world in one form or another so um yeah it's out there it's out there <laughs> have to check that out yeah. and how is that viewed in in the realm of the church just right as a yeah whole. just how a does that totally to pivot to yeah, yeah here we are actually we've <laughs> you reached out because i work for the um yeah the humble uh, Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. I'm currently their um, director of basically lifespan spiritual development. Um, so it's um, kind of a open ended title there. It, it yeah right yeah. <laughs> so they can just keep throwing lots of stuff in that that goodie bag. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's kind of a mouthful too. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I. I've been with that particular community, um, the fellowship, for about three years now um, in a professional capacity. It's interesting because, and and so like you say, church. So this is a group of people that actually is very um, allergic to that word church, right? Because um, you're getting a lot of people that come to this world who have... Um, who have trauma, you know, they've suffered spiritual abuse. They grew up in an environment where they were told that, you know, God and, you know, eternal love and acceptance and all the beautiful things you want from your spiritual home are not available to them because they're they're gay or they're, um, you know, they're non-binary or they just, they don't subscribe to a certain set of beliefs. Um, so yeah, church is, is off, off limits. No we don't use that <laughs> Um, but it's interesting because I, I grew up in, I, I'm, I'm a similar background to, I guess, a lot of the people who come with similar wounding is I grew up, I'm, um, I'm the kid of a, my dad was, um, the child of Baptist missionaries. Um, my mom's like full, you know, born again, conservative Christian parents. You know, I think they, you know, when I was a child, my dad taught Sunday school and my mom played you know, uh, the church piano and did the church choir. I mean, so a lot. And then I went to private Christian school five days a week. So, so you were ingrained in the culture. Totally, totally. Um, and then I left home, was kicked out of home at 16. Um, and so I was like, well, great. I'm done with that. I never need to step foot in 
a religious setting ever again, you know, <laughs> like 16, I'm done with that, moving on. Um, and then I had a friend um, maybe four or five years ago who had been connected to this community um, at Huff, at the fellowship, um, who she had been there because she really was finding a really rich, rewarding experience for her kids and for herself. Um, and just the community there was really, really rich. Um, and she's like, you should come check this out. I'd lived here for, at that time for what, like 20 years or something. I'm like, where is this place? <laughs> I've never even heard of it. Um, and so I made my way out there. And I, I, for sure, I think the first day there was a lot of kind of quote unquote churchy elements that was like, ah, what am I doing here? You know, there's hymnals and and they're passing an offering basket and all these little things that I remembered from it. So it was a little like, whew. It's Flashbacks. Just, why, yeah, why am I here? Is this the right place for me? Um, but... The people were so night and day from what I remember experiencing as a child. I mean, you've got like um, just such a wide open array, wonderfully accepting, you know, diverse paths and experiences. And and that's kind of the main ethos is like, you know, you walk in and the whole energy is you don't have to believe what we believe. You know, this isn't like you subscribe to these particular beliefs and then you're, you can be part of our club. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's welcoming. So, so yeah, the cannabis thing is, it's not that big a deal. It turns out actually in that world. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that subscribing to a belief system is, it can be dangerous because it's a box, right? Especially with Christianity and Catholicism. Mm as a whole or in the past, if you tried to push up against those boundaries, you could be banned from the church and cast out from that community. And if you are like you or like most people, if you grow up in that church, these are the people that you know. This is your mm -hmm. family, your friends, the people you see on Sundays, you do all these communal activities with. And then to say, well, I don't really agree with this aspect of it, you can get outcast. And that's scary for a lot of people. Totally. I mean, if you figure, I mean, this, what they, there was some study I read recently that was saying how social isolation is actually more damaging to your health than like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, just because we are such, we're hardwired to be social creatures. You know, we need each other. I think that's part of why the last few years was so difficult for people, because not only were we dealing with this, you know, crazy unknown ailment lingering in the air we also didn't have connections to one another to you couldn't go of, see anybody totally You're stuck in your house every totally day. so yeah yeah that thought of being ostracized or cast out of your tribe so to speak you know because you don't you won't say yes i you don't check these boxes yeah 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 totally what is there a predominant religion amongst your group or does everybody kind of believe their own thing? Do you have, would you even say that you guys subscribe to a predominant religion or it's just more of a spirituality aspect? Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting too, because it's like, so I come from a place where, you know, so after leaving home, I spent probably the next 15 or so years, like really diving down that spiritual rabbit hole. So that languaging for me is, is right on. Yeah. I'm like spiritual. That's, you know, like, let's talk about different, you know, paths of mysticism and different philosophies and ways of knowing and, you know, conceptualizing the universe and our place in it like that. Yeah, that's that's my jam. Um, but then you get a whole range of 
people, everything from like, you know, atheist humanist who, you know, I have to kind of give a trigger warning. I, I sang a song the other day for, um, for the congregation. And I was just like, just a trigger warning, guys. I'm going to use the G word here. I'm going to say God and you can substitute whatever word you want for that. <laughs> because I know some of you, that's, that's a hot button word. Um, there's a lovely, like a Buddhist sangha um, that meets there regularly that's connected to us and they, you know, follow the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh um, and do all the kind of like Plum Blossom Village lineage stuff. Um, so that's connected to us. Um, there's historically been like a pagan group that meets regularly there and does some um, earth-based rituals. Um, you have some I don't know that we have a lot of Christians. I think, <laughs> I think it's maybe safe to say that's a smaller portion of the community. But I think, you know, so what really defines, you know, kind of any congregation, any community that wants to define itself as UU, Unitarian Universalist, is there's these um, seven principles to which they just ask people to consider and to um, to begin to work to embody, basically. You know, things like, the worth and dignity of every human being or, you know, acknowledging and embracing the interdependence of all life. I mean, stuff that if you think about it is, you know, we should probably all be able to sign on, say yes to. Yeah, good tenants, right? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so it's pretty wide ranging. Yeah, you get, you get a whole. Well, Buddhist to pagan is a pretty, pretty right? big leap. Yeah, yeah. So it can feel a little bit like, you know, um, spiritual buffet land a little bit you know like let's do a little meditation here and let's do a little earth-based ritual here and which is lovely um i think it's you could probably if if someone is really wanting to go deep on one particular spiritual lineage it's maybe not the best place um because it's it's much more wide-ranging i would say it's not the place like if you really really want to explore like you know reform judaism and get deep into that you know we have beautiful we have beautiful temples here that you can go <laughs> connect with but um but huff is probably not the place to start you guys are more if you're just you're trying to find an alternate route you guys kind of have a taste of everything you can see oh there's this there's also this there are these different ways of thinking outside of the structure of the main religions yeah or the big the big ones. Well, and I think it's also like so much of it is about it's it's about community. It's it's you have people that recognize the value in creating a space where you can come and you can temporarily step out of those really limiting definitions of the you know, you're not defined by your job, you're not defined by your income, you're not defined by your sexual orientation, you're not defined by your past trauma. Um you can just come and be welcomed and have this beautiful, restorative, regenerative, connecting experience with other people um, and that there's value in that. And so, so much of it, it's, it's almost less about what we say we believe, although that's a, you know, it's a piece of it. Um, and there's a huge bent towards social justice, you know, it's like, let's not just talk about what we're, what we believe, but let's actually roll up our sleeves and fucking get to work here you know <laughs> um but it's it's so much of it is really about just fostering that sense of community that sense of connection i would say so now why does that social justice aspect come into play because you don't normally hear that tied up in mm. in spiritual groups or religious groups um i mean is that just out of because the community is these people who have these scars from 
these other areas that they want to try to help give back or help others in some way? It may be a piece of it, but I think it's also comes from just a larger acknowledgement. I mean, because, you know, when we're talking, you know, UUism, like that's, it's a whole huge nationwide organization, you know, so it's not just one little, you know, group Local. of people in Bayside yeah. saying, hey, let's do this. You know, they're connected to this much larger ecosystem and um, um, philosophy and movement that says, we as spiritual seekers or as values-driven people, um, as people that are connected to a faith, to a religion, of, you know, as UUism is defined as a religion, we have this potential to do tremendous good in the world. You know, we have resources, we have, we have, we have um, status, we have uh, tax exempt status, you know, because we're a religious organization, you know, like we are poised to do tremendous good in the world. And wouldn't it just be a complete shame if all we were was just talking heads, you know, just people that came together to like, oh, that felt really nice. We sang some songs and, you know, we had some some coffee together and, you know, talked about all the things that we believe in. Um, but it really, you know, we aim to be a place where people can step in, you know. So like one of the things we started doing um, in the last year um, and part of it was, you know, was, was my, you know, my own frustration it was just like, we, we got to create a space here. You know, if Sunday is the only vehicle we have right now for people to gather, we have to create a space to like do, do the something. thing. Yeah. So we started doing, um, the fourth Sunday of the month, we've been doing what we're calling social action Sunday. So each fourth Sunday, we partner up with another nonprofit organization, like, you know, the North coast environmental center. We're partnering with them for September and doing a coastal cleanup effort with them. Um, we've partnered with Cooperation Humboldt or um, Central del Pueblo or, um, you know, we've done, we did stuff with the food bank, you know, where everyone came together and we, we organized food for three hours and it was amazing, you know. So it's one of those things where it, it doesn't ask too much of us. We just have to shift our focus, you know. It's like, okay, rather than coming and sitting in a room and talking about this, which just has value as well, um, what if we just took a quarter of that energy and pivoted it into to action? So, so that's been exciting to watch that transpire. Um, I don't think I answered your question. No. I, well, that tracks, right, is you have all these people – together you're all coming together for one reason or another you might as well do something with that right you might as well point that energy towards something good and i do believe even the act of just coming together and doing yoga or doing meditation like that is valuable that definitely has its place mm -hmm. but that was always something i noticed especially with the catholic church that's what i was brought up in yeah is you just come together for this week for this one day in a week right and then you're like absolved. That's all the work you really have to do, right? <laughs> you go, maybe you say your 10, the 10 commandments, you recite that, you yeah. go, you do whatever you have to do, you talk to the priest, and then yeah. you're cleared for the week. Yeah. All your sins are absolved, and you can yeah. go repeat the cycle next week. Yeah. Do you still practice? I don't. That? I was yeah. kind of like how you were when I was old enough, I, I took a step back. Yeah. But it's weird. And I'm sure you might be able to appreciate this. When I try to think about how I feel with religion, it seems like it's kind of a murky situation because I mm -hmm. can't separate what was ingrained in me as a child versus how I feel now, like on a conceptual basis, because 
you're a kid and you're so malleable and you're getting these ideas thrust on you of, you know, this is God, this is what he expects from you, this is what you're supposed to do to be a good person. And then as you get older and you start having these new experiences, it there's a disconnect of, well, okay, this wasn't exactly true, so where does... You start pulling on threads and it can get very dangerous. Well, and I think yeah, it, can, it can unravel the whole thing. I mean, because I remember... You know, you figure your 20s, right, is kind of when you're coming. I don't know. I don't know how old you are. Maybe you're I'm in your 20s right yeah, now. I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kind of right in there. So I feel like my late teens, early 20s was like, I was just pissed off for like almost a decade, basically, because that was the time. I mean, you you know, you've, you're likely going to college and you're you're finally breaking free of, you know, some of the the constraints and the, you know, the channeled version of reality or information that you were getting handed by your parents and it probably wasn't coming from a place of you know malice mal- exactly is. exactly you know they're they're doing the best with the information and the beliefs that that they have been hand that they've inherited you know but man i just you know coupled with you know you know just even learning the you know more about the realities of like climate change and our political system and you know, the history of colonialism and racism in this country. And just like, so it's like you have that whole piece of it. And you're like, why did no one tell me these things? You know, because especially growing up, I mean, I, you know, I went to a private Christian school that had its own little private Christian curriculum. Yeah, you were insulated. Oh, my God. I mean, I had like textbooks that literally said like, you know, Columbus came to the new world to bring God's love to the Indians. And I think, I mean, there's so many things in that sentence now where I'm just like, oh, oh, it's so, so many levels of, of cringe there. <laughs> but like, you know, so it was that coupled with... um yeah, just the you know the 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 spiritual information too. Just fed the, and it just fed. So there were so many layers where I felt like I had been deceived, you know, and it, it throws you, you know. So it's like, and and I think there's something about it in there too. Like the part of it that feels really, really in, insidious is if all you're given is this kind of indoctrination, you know, like no, 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 no. This this is the truth. There's there's not different versions. There's it's not shades of gray. Version. This is it. This is the version. Everything else is gonna get you sent to you know <laughs> the bad place. Um, it trains you out of trusting yourself. It seems like the greatest tragedy to me. You know because um, I don't know how much personal story you want. No, yeah. When I was like I don't know. My daughter is ten now, and so I'm thinking back. So like maybe when I was like eleven, I had inadvertently started up this kind of like clandestine secret library in the back of my closet, um, and you wouldn't. I mean, you would think there would be all sorts of like really like bad thing. You know, this is where I kept my bong or whatever. It was nothing. You know, it was like I had books on 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 Zen. Um, on Buddhism, on paganism, on, you know, just existential philosophy. I had like, you know, the CDs with the swears that I wasn't allowed to listen to, like all this beautiful art and and literature that my parents were like, no, 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 you know, that I was like, I can't, I can't share this part of me that's hungry for more for different takes on life. So I literally had this like, you know, secret stash of... (laughs) Buddhist text and, you know, Tori Amos in the back of my <laughs> so Not standard for most kids. I, think. I, I guess. Most kids I, would probably go the bong route or they've got a couple beers back there. Right, right. Yeah. That, that came later. That, you know, went with the rest. But yeah, <laughs> early on, it was just information because it was like this sense of, 
this doesn't feel like it for me, you know? Like, I know I'm being told, like, this is the truth and this is, you know, the way things are. But there was just, it still at a young age felt like there's something more that I, I'm not being told or I'm not being let in on. Yeah, and they're was, keeping this from me. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if that was the thought, but just, like, there was more than they were able to give me and I wanted it. Um, so I had to go find that on my my own. So, So as a parent... It's it's interesting because my child's being raised with like almost the opposite of. <laughs> she's got way more access to stuff. Um, as far she, as information, and she's just being. I see the confidence it instills in her to be to know that. I you know it's like you know we talk about the differences in in our belief system. You know she's ten, and by no means am I like, oh, you're only ten. You don't know what you think. You know I'm like tell me what you think because it's interesting to me and you know things I don't know. Um, you know, so she and I have this, you know, conversation back and forth, you know, like, well, you mom believes in God. And what does that mean to you? Who is this? You know, is it a, is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it both? Is it neither? You know, where do they live? Like, um, and she's just like, yeah, I don't believe in God. I'm like, cool. Great. Tell me more about that. You know, and there's no, there's no weirdness. There's no guilt. There's no fear. There's no pressure to subscribe to a different way because that's how your family is. Yeah. And I just, I feel like that's going to serve her down the line because she's not worrying that she's going to disappoint me or be eternally damned. You know, if that's she... the big one, right? Is that it's not these choices carry such an extreme weight. It's go to heaven or go to hell forever for the rest of your life this blip that you're experiencing on earth is nothing compared to eternity mm. and if you make the wrong choice you're going to go to hell and you're going to be stuck there mm. forever and imagine telling that to a child that if they mess up and they mess up enough that's that's it that's it for you this is where you're going to go even if you're just born into it if you're gay if you're yeah. non-binary if you fit into those categories and you're in the church Sorry, you didn't do anything wrong. You were just born wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what they tell you. And then that I think that has gotten better, I've, at least in, in some aspects and in some communities. They've become right. way more accepting. To... Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of progressive Christian communities yeah. out there who are doing a really beautiful job. Yeah, I don't want to discount to... those groups. Absolutely. But historically, it was, even when I was a kid, if you were gay, it was not. You definitely didn't tell anybody and mm -hmm. you tried to keep that yeah. as closed mouth as you could because you would be cast out from the church. Yeah. How crazy is that? And that's just how it is. Yeah. You yeah. were just born into the wrong box. And, you know, I think there's something really compelling and seductive about that kind of absolute truth, you know, because I think there's something... <sighs> So I think it feels like we live right now at this, you know, very tumultuous time, very uncertain time. Yeah, now especially. It does. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe it's always been this way. We just are more aware of what's happening all around us on a global level, you know. But it feels very tumultuous. It feels very – everything feels so uncertain. And so I can understand, you know, how compelling it would feel to be like – 
well, at least I have like this whole like nature of God and the universe thing figured out, you know, like I know this, like I got this down. If I do this, I say this, you know, I, I vote like this, I pray like this, I live like this, then I'm I'm guaranteed this outcome, this good outcome at the end. I can't be guaranteed a good outcome in this life, but I can be guaranteed a good outcome after it, you know, and there's something really, man, especially if you're suffering in this lifetime, you know, that's got to be. There's a lot of power in that. Yeah, yeah. And having the uncertainty taken out of life, because that's yeah. all life is. Otherwise, yeah. if you take out this structure of, okay, follow these steps, and God will love you, and you can go to heaven, versus the alternative, of, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know what steps I need to take. I don't know what happens if I do this versus if I do that. Am I going to lose even, everything? Or even the no one actually knows how this ends. You know, there's no cert there's definitely no certainty that your life in this human body is going to end well. And and there's really no certainty about what happens after you exit. You that's know, like that's one. like. Uh, and people, <laughs> if you have the structure of there is something after to have that taken away to, well, there might just be emptiness. You might just have this one existence and then that's. It's a wrap. Yeah. That is, a, that's a scary concept. Totally. Again, especially if you have the rigid structure of there is a, an Eden out there for you to end up at. And you live your life like that for any period of time to have that rug pulled out can be, I mean, you hear about these people that are in these fundamentalist church, church groups, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so structured and so extreme. And then they come out from that one way or another and their whole life is turned upside down. Hmm. It's like they're on shaky ground and they don't know where to step anymore because mm -hmm. they lost that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, I think it speaks to all the framework was done externally. You know, you didn't develop that capacity to trust your intuition, to trust your own doubts or inner knowing. You know, the only you, you really leaned hard or flexed that particular, that one muscle about, conforming right you were taught not you're to really question. really good at doing what you're told to do but yeah. as soon as you're put in a situation where it's just like i need to make some choices for myself and i need to kind of use my own you know wisdom as a as a as a guide is or as a barometer of what to do next like you haven't developed that in that setting. you don't have the tool yeah so yeah yeah so i think um yeah it's 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 circling back i guess it's just it's it's been beautiful to to work and be in in a setting in a community that really is just about creating support and connection and community around like we're here for whatever you want to look into you know it's like if you want to really get into your meditation practice great we want to help support you in that if you want to um, you know, just really geek out on, you know, the, the, the meaning of life and our socio-political structures and, you know, how we, you know, subvert those and fight back against injustice and don't want to think about God at all. Great. We're here for that. Like, you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a really nice thing to be a, a connected to that community. What made you revolt from Christianity? Was it just that idea of, there's more information out there that I'm not I'm not getting access to. Is there something else? Because some people don't, right? Some people are brought up in that and ride it till the wheels fall off. Yeah. And then there are others who there's like a, a little switch that gets flipped. Hmm. And at one point they start saying, well, this doesn't quite sound right. And like I said, they start pulling on these threads and it comes 
comes to an unraveling point? Um, you know, I think a lot of it just, again, it boils down to just that I, I needed to be able to trust myself. I needed to be able to find a life that wasn't based upon someone else's rules for me because I didn't know how to I just didn't know how to build that life you know like but you knew that it was out there for you I didn't I just knew that I couldn't build the one that was being presented me you know like you know my parents had a really lovely script that you know that probably would have made for a very um safe and um stable life you know like uh they they you know they would they would have paid for me to go to a nice christian college um they would have you know been really excited for me to go and marry a you know nice cisgendered white guy and not not white they're not quite that you know far down the conservative rabbit hole but um (laughs) you know but just you know someone else who believed exactly as they did and you know have a very tradition you know gender role traditional marriage and um and there's nothing wrong with any of that. I just knew that, you know, whatever life I was going to be a part of, you know, I, I had to feel myself in it. I had to feel like, you know, I was I was reaching out into the thing that was meant for me, not just what someone else's idea of what my life was supposed to be, I think. So I, I just didn't, I didn't know how to do it. I think I was really, really good, really young at doing doing the script, right? You Pretending. know, you, you learn the rules, you learn like what's okay and what's not okay, what parts of you you can share in what settings and what parts of you need to kind of like, you know, have a special section in Keep your closet. Yeah, the closet. Uh, right. And... And it's just so exhausting. It's so exhausting, especially as a child, right? And I think, you know, when I, you know, so basically it's like I was, you know, 16 and and my mother was the one, she basically was just like, you're not living by our rules. You know, we have these certain rules around like, um, you know, smoking the pot or, you know, having sex before marriage or whatever it is, you know, um, you get back in line with the rules we have for you or you leave. And I was like... I can leave. Like I didn't even know that was an option. Like so, I mean, I yeah, grabbed my backpack and checked <laughs> up to a friend's house, and um, you know, there was many, many twists and turns after that. But I think it was just someone showing me the door, even though I had no idea where that door went to. I just knew I couldn't, I, I couldn't be in that, you know, nice little warm, safe container that was being offered me so were you afraid was there any hesitation in leaving because you're 16 right and this is the only life you've known is with your parents and then to yeah you have that little crack in the door of you can get out and this might be your only chance but it's also you're leaving your family that's kind of a daunting choice for a 16 year old i think um i think you know things had gotten compressed and bad enough at that point that it was like whatever was out there waiting for me had to be better than than that just um because you know there's just at a certain point you know it's yeah if you're not living from a place of deep authenticity uh, you're always looking outside yourself I guess for those external cues that you're doing it right um and I mean, I was never all that good at doing it right anyway. You know, I was my parents' problem child. So I think I think I got tired of being a problem, honestly. You know, I was like, it's, it's too hard to be your problem. <laughs> I'm going to go be my own problem. Why don't you turn your your efforts towards something else? And I'll, I'll go see if I can 
start the work of, you know, piecing myself back together, Humpty Dumpty style, whatever that means. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers that. Yeah. Yeah. Now. It's, it'd be harder to leave, right? If it was a perfect home life yeah. and everything was going great. And then you had this crack because then you're balancing, well, you know, I, I do really love it here, but there is this other thing out there that might be better right. versus, man, something's got to change. You hit mm -hmm. that point where, it, it's just not sustainable. You can't keep up the act. You can't keep pretending. And if you get that glimmer of hope that, oh, there there could be something. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to be that there is something. It's just the thought that there might be something out there that's mm -hmm. better or that's different or that's going to help you and, and jumping on that opportunity. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's, there's something, you know, I'm, it's, it's funny just how, you know, life moves in cycles. You know, I feel like some lessons that I kind of touched in on in my, you know, my teens and early twenties, I'm circling back to in a new way now at 40. And it's like, there's something powerful in, in no, you know, just, you know, saying, I don't That's know what I'm, I'm still saying. Trying to learn. Well, I, and I think, you know, just, you might get to, to keep, learning it a while you know it might be kind of this labyrinth of type lessons. thing where you learn it a little here and then you circle back around and learn it again, <laughs> learn it in a new way um i i think yeah there's just something even if you don't know what you're saying yes to yet i think there's something really powerful in just getting that clear no like i i can't i i can't keep moving in this direction i need something that's not this because then it opens up i think possibilities for a potential yes if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah or even just putting you on a different path mm -hmm. right it doesn't even have to be your final path it's just pivoting off of the path that you know is not right for you because mm -hmm. it's easier to know if something doesn't fit sometimes it's a little harder to know if it does fit or if you hmm. you are making the right choices but you know if you're making the wrong choices those are pretty definitive i think most times hmm I, I think that's great that that's your experience. I you sometimes, no, I mean, sometimes you, yeah, you get a clear hit, right? In your body or in, in your gut I guess really early. I don't mean instantaneously. Yeah. But I feel like I, I never really know if I made the right choice looking back, but I always know if I made the wrong choice looking back. I can look well, back well, and say, this was not, should not have had to learn this lesson, but we did. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. I guess it is a hindsight thing. It'd be nice if you could tell in the moment and say, oh, you know, if I make this choice, I'm going to be, you know, kicking back on a beach in five years with yeah. $20 million. But I do think we can like flex, strengthen that muscle, so to speak. You know, like the more we make those choices that are kind of intuitively guided when we have those little hits of like, you know, just get those little like feelings that, you know, something in your body that's kind of a like, ooh, you know, because we have those, right? When we, you know, we're around someone who, for whatever reason, we're just like, I just don't vibe with that person, you know? And then it turns out later, it's like, you know, we learn all this shady stuff about them or something, or, you know, we have the moment where we're about to like, you know, I don't know, enter in a financial agreement with someone, but there's something that's like, eh, I need to sleep on this. And then it turns out, you know, so it's like, I feel like we can train ourselves to get better. So it doesn't always have to be yourself. hindsight. Yeah. It's trusting yourself. Like you said, like yeah. developing that muscle of listening to your gut and, and following what you feel is yeah. right yeah yeah i think um are you, i don't know if you're a poetry person at all but um i i that's an interesting question i <laughs> i don't read poetry but i'm a fan of poetry yeah. i remember one of the first poems i ever became enamored with as a teenager was um uh the line from e.e e. cummings where he says to be 
you know, to be nobody but yourself in a world that would have you be, I'm, I'm totally bastardizing these beautiful words, but, you know, to be nobody but yourself in a world that would have you be everybody else is like one of the most powerful things that you can do. And that resonated so strongly with me when I was younger. And it was like, okay, yeah, I don't even know if I fully understand what that means, but these are words I'm going to like ingrain upon my heart and being, and I'm going to like carry that with me <laughs> as I move forward and to whatever comes next. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think there's 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 a, a power that when we develop when we start doing that that listening to ourselves. So it's important. It is an important muscle to develop. Yeah, just being able to trust yourself and trust that if you do mess up you will be able to pick yourself back up mm -hmm. that's one of the big things right right and again you know just back to like that larger thing of like community i mean so to be in a community that welcomes differences of opinion differences of belief differences of practice differences across all of lifestyle of you know all sorts of things this is you know we trust you even though you're you're you you show up in this life differently than I do. You don't act and believe and, you know, exactly as I do, but we trust you to be, you know, a, a, um, a good, decent, you know, <laughs> human being and to come and co-create this beautiful communal experience with us, you know, um, that's powerful, you know, and, and then you create those connections where, you know, when you do, like you spoke to just now, just, you know, picking yourself back up. It isn't that American thing of picking yourself back up. It's, it's, you have that community, that, that net, that safety weaving around you that, and which is how we're supposed to do it anyway. You know, like we were never designed to have to do it all on our own, <laughs> you know, like we were designed to be in community and connection with one another so that when there is that faltering that, you know, um, yeah. Have you have that. somebody to lean on. That's the whole mm -hmm. idea, right? That's the whole idea behind community and finding people that you can jive with is everybody's looking out for each other. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to help each other. You're not going through life alone. Yeah. You have someone. Yeah. When you, so after 16, did you start getting involved into spirituality? Is that kind of the path that you got on or you were just over all of it? Um, I think I was uh, on the chain smoking and angry music path for a good long while that was part of my spiritual practice um and <laughs> eventually that kind of morphed into something a little bit more sustainable um so yeah i think i don't know I, I, at this point now i've been um a yoga teacher for 13 years i think so and i think i think at a certain point i think at a certain point I, I was so tired of being angry you know it was really really powerful fuel to launch me out of the world my parents had created for me um and at a certain point i just couldn't be angry anymore you know it's like that kind of heat will will you know it'll it'll burn you up and everything around you it's not yeah you need to kind of move to a different fuel source <laughs> so I think at a certain point yeah that turned into more inquiry you know looking into you know a lot of um you know yoga was really appealing to me because it was you know there's not really much mention in a lot of spiritual traditions really of the body you know of how we like 
you know, how, what a beautiful, holy, divine thing it is to connect with your physical self, you know, and even, you know, in a lot of those traditions, you know, the body is a very sinful thing and you should, you know, just basically concentrate on, you know, from the, the yeah, neck cover up. everything yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a really, that became a real beautiful place for me to, to land. Um, so I think before I even, you know, before I started teaching and get, getting trained to be a teacher, um, you know, I spent a good just decade just in yoga studios, just so hungry for that kind of um, experience, you know. So that was, you know, for a while, that was a very, very beautiful healing place for me to to be. So, and yoga is spiritually entwined, right? I mean, there's the aspect of that. I mean, you don't have to say spirituality; it's the mind body connection, right? And there's something kind of, I don't know what the word would be, but there's some something interesting and unique about that when you're doing these poses or so I've been told I haven't done yoga. I want to get into yoga just for longevity purposes. I do a lot of weightlifting and my uh, body is kind of tight. Oh yeah. I'm you're getting, tired. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, yeah. I I'm would getting, always, yeah. I'm yeah. getting to that point where it's okay. Something's got to, we're going to start focusing more on that mobility. That would be a very good complimentary activity for you to get into. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've heard. I don't want to be that guy who's, you know, in his forties and is hunched over and tight, but just jacked and it's like, what yeah. are you, what are you doing? It's good functional movement. It will help kind of like balance. I had a teacher that talked about, you know, it's a really, um, it's a very holistic form of movement. You know, it'll give you strength if that's what you're needing, you know, it'll help fortify those parts of you, but it will also, you know, give you openness and, you know, limber you up and expand you if that's what you're needing as well. So it's a pretty versatile form of movement, but, um, but I mean, if you look at like the, you know, the origins of, of it, it's, it's so tough to, you know, especially if you're looking at from the outside peering into it, you know, like yoga, as we know it in our commodified culture, right. It's just, is, you know, exercise with like, you know, spiritual, I don't know, little accessories attached to it, right? It's like fluff. You're just kind of throw, sprinkling it on you know, there just to give it a little flair. Let's come and get a workout and then put our hands on our heart and say namaste. You know, like we really don't have a clear connection and reverence to what the original practice was um, and still is in large, you know, in, in many parts of India. Um, I mean, but it, it's, it's meant to be. So it's like what we practice here in the West, right? Just the, the asana, the physical postures is this tiny, tiny little fraction of what, I mean, there's a whole like epistemology and philosophy and, um, you know, there's deities and there's different, um, you know, precepts on how to be living one's life. And it's a whole pathway, um, but that's a lot harder. So we tend to just kind of go for like, you know, ooh, let's do the stretchy, fun, like, you know, ooh, and let's do the Instagrammable stuff too, right? Because that's really cool and, and you know, um, and in some ways much more accessible. You know, in some ways it's easier to do a handstand than it is to really look at like, you know, go deep within and, you know, look at parts of yourself that are difficult to grapple with. So, um, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we get kind of the, the yoga light in our culture, unfortunately. <laughs> so. uh, do you delve a little deeper into that in your life? I think again, it's just, that's, I'm, I'm just so hungry for that. You know, I think when I look out kind of at just the general, when I look at the world and I see the, the level of injustice and I see the things happening, 
um, particularly to people that have you know marginalized identities. And I see that those systems are set in place to continue that injustice. And and I feel really really powerless, you know, as a single individual to 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 change that. My go to is I I need a spiritual framework to to look at all to view all of this from. I need to understand myself not just as this finite white woman um, from a certain socioeconomic background. I need to understand myself from a more kind of, it's going to sound really hippy-dippy, but kind of a cosmic, you know, more eternal big picture place. And I need to, and I need to be able to have a framework to encounter um, and interact with others from that same place, you know, to that place that says um, we're so much more than those really, really limiting definitions that the world is willing to hand us you know it's I, I think of spirituality as kind of like um fight club sometimes how you know it's like you're not your job you're not your car you're not your fucking khakis you know but instead of beating you over the head you know <laughs> to try and instill that information it's like here let me let me teach you this breathing practice or this meditation or um you know, this, this chant or this song, or let me have, let's have a, a beautiful interconnected heart opening experience or conversation together that helps remind us that we're so much more than our limited circumstances or the, you know, the, the titles that the world is willing to, you know, hand to us. So. Is it, it's funny that you said it's, it's going to sound kind of hippie-ish because my go-to is, oh, it sounds hippy-dippy. You know, that's what I say. and. What I don't understand is, is that sentiment because there isn't such a rigid structure? Because if you think about it, religion is kind of hippy-dippy, but it's, mm. it's just hippy-dippy in a more structured way, right? You're thinking oh, there's this being out there who created everything, who does these things. He has this kingdom and to get in there, you have to follow these structures. And then the flip side of that is, well, we're just cosmic beings and we're just here for a finite amount of time. And it's about finding, finding passions and cultivating those and just being a decent person and doing these things. Why is one, why does one get branded as hippie and the other is mm. kind of the right thing to feel? It's funny because, yeah, I heard the word religion and I, I my body kind of tenses I know, up a you, little. Yeah. It feels more rigid. Yeah. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel the in same, the realm same of, of hippie. It feels yeah. very, um... And the way I understand religion is almost more of an intellectual construct. You know, it's trying to take this this thing that we really don't understand. You know, I have a, um, an uncle who um, is part of the the Jesuit tradition and within Catholicism. I'm not with that. Yeah, it's just a particular lineage within Catholicism. Um, and I remember having a lovely conversation with him where he just he talked about you know, and he was very well aware that he and I didn't have the same, you know, identical belief system. And we just had this wonderful moment in the conversation where we talked about kind of just, you know, engaging with the mystery. And I was like, oh, yeah, like that, we can both say yes to this, even though he has a different idea about the mystery and I have a different one. That's what we're doing. And so I think, you know, religion, in my limited, you know, vantage point, seems to like it attempts to take this thing that's so big and so really incomprehensible you know who are we what's the nature of being what happens when you die where do we come from what are we here for you know um and bring it down and make it this kind of linear 
intellectualized, codified, you know, like do these steps. Whereas, yes, spirituality could be anything, right? You know, like I could have a flower picking practice. Actually, that's probably not a bad idea. Um, But, you know, it could be whatever I want it to be, which has a shadow side as well. I mean, like, you know, we've seen, you know, in the last couple years, you know, what happens when, you know, people are allowed to kind of cherry pick their own facts and be like, well, that's not part of my spiritual path or, you know, it's like, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that kind of that continuum from this really kind of rigid structure that says, no, we, we understand to, to my flower picking practice or whatever. (laughs) So, yeah. There's this, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this. So bear with me. There is this line of thinking that I believe it's Christianity and Catholicism as a whole that it's just a misinterpretation of the Bible. There's this guy, and I'm going to throw out the name Terrence McKenna. I don't think that's actually who wrote the book. Um, he is a guy who translated the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the oldest form of the Bible in some sense. And his interpretation was that it's it was just a misinterpretation of a bunch of fertility rituals. I think the book is called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross or the cross and the sacred mushroom, something like that. But that was his interpretation. He read, he translated these scrolls and he came out from it saying, we got it all wrong. The Bible is not this rigid structure of what life is supposed to be. It's fertility rituals. And I think they were, you know, disguised and made more ambivalent so that other cultures couldn't interpret them correctly. And it just got passed down wrong and people started adding in their own shit and things started changing and this started meaning this instead of that through language changes you know and it was just not what it was supposed to be originally it Mm. just got hammered down into this new thing that we present as oh this is the bible like a thousands year old game of telephone or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean think about you get 10 people playing telephone and it's completely off imagine hundreds of thousands of years or however far that goes back. I mean, people are so malleable and then somebody starts throwing in their own things because they don't agree with this and then... Well, and yeah, exactly. None of us are neutral vessels. Yeah, you know? if you were, If you were to give me, you know, words on a piece of paper and say, okay, I mean, I want you to get this information to these people um, and then, you know, something were to happen to you and all I have left is your piece of paper... If I, you know, I, it's within my rights. You left me this piece of paper, your final record here. You know, I mean, you know, I don't really like the way Nick put this here. So I'm going to put this word instead, which actually has a totally different meaning. You know, yeah, that many, you know, fallible vessels passing down information. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of this is the history of colonialism, too, right? I mean, if you look at our Christian holidays, you know, like like Christmas, you know, like I'm pretty sure the baby Jesus was not born in December, but oh, we did have, you know, the celebration of the winter solstice that, you know, pagan earth-based cultures had been celebrating and commemorating and having Yule logs and, you know, adorning trees um, as a way to connect to and honor the cycles of the earth, you know, that had been happening. So it was like, hey, Let's just take that and put a manger next yeah, to it. We got our pieces together. So it's it's true. I mean, there's nothing infallible about that lineage, about any lineage, you know, like all of them. You Scientology. Know. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? That was the perfect response. Yeah. 
I mean, how crazy is that? Hmm. And people are diehard with it. I and I think I think it's just you know we want again it's that that's that you know that desire, want to believe that desire for I think it's a desire for certainty to know that you can count on something you know. I think it's just, and if someone, you know, and especially the people that, you know, peddle, especially like a for-profit religion like Scientology, I mean, like, there are some charismatic people, you know, selling snake oil. Um, like, I, I get it, you know, if you, if there's that, I mean, I think because we all have that, I think we, I think we're hardwired to, to, to you know, we want meaning I think we want to have some sense of who we are in the grand scheme of things to know, you know, our place in all of this seemingly chaotic, you know, world that we're in. Um, I think we want to have a sense of purpose. Um, and religion's a really powerful tool to to deliver that, you know. So, so again, it can be a weaponized tool as well and has been historically <laughs> over human <laughs> civilization, unfortunately. So... Language wielded by charismatic people can be a force to reckon with. That's all it takes is one person that is articulate and compassionate and can get their message disseminated amongst however many people. And just there's this innate will or desire to believe and to trust another person. And that just gets played on. I don't know if that's because... You know, throughout history, you have to trust the person next to you if you're in these small hunter-gatherer mm. groups, hmm. right? You evolve that way where you, you that's the only way you survive is in your group. And so now we're just more inclined to trust, especially if it comes from a charismatic person. Hmm. But that gets taken advantage of. It's, I mean, take your politicians who just sell you this the line of goods and never deliver. And we believe them each and every time. And we want to hope that this is the one. This one's actually going to, this person's actually going to help me. Yeah. I know. I remember, I don't remember how old I was. I'd have to go back and do the math. But so I was, when Barack Obama was elected, I was at the time going to Dalarte, which um, I'm trying to think, and Obama came on the heels of what Bush. And so going from, you know, when we when we back then thought Bush was like as bad as it could get, you know, it seems so cute and naive now. But um, I remember standing in the lo- the then lager bar before it had been all prettified and gentrified, you know, shoulder to shoulder in this cramped room of, you know, queer, non-binary, just this beautiful array of of artists and actors and clowns at this, you know, wonderful little theater school, staring up at the television, watching, you know, Barack Obama give his acceptance speech. And we had so completely, yes, you know, we we can do this and we are the change we've been waiting for. And, you know, all the things that he, you know, got elected on and crying, you know, genuinely crying um, because there was such a need to believe that someone, you know, and he was so, so likable and such a wonderful, noble figure. And if you, again, like you say, you know, you look at his record, it's like, oh, oh, he kind of just did the same thing <laughs> that your predecessors had done. Maybe you got some healthcare bills through. Maybe you did, you know, but you also, you know, handed this huge corporate bailout and... And all the um, drone strikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I so. can remember, I, I don't know if I was in third grade or sixth grade, but we were out on a camping trip 
and we were in our cabin. It was kind of late at night, and I can remember our teacher running in, opening the door, and saying, Obama won, and we all cheered because we just intuitively knew. Well, none of us knew politics. We didn't know what Obama's platform was or what he stood for as a person, but we knew that it was a historic moment, and we were wrapped up in the idea that this was a, a movement of change. And then now looking back, it was just more of the same. Just Theater. a different phase. Yeah. Just a different phase. Yeah. Yeah. And how often does that cycle repeat itself? I mean, track that one back. Well, you know, and it's interesting too. So I watched in myself and in some of the people around me, my peers, you know, because we all, you know, so many of us, you know, especially if, you know, you identify as progressive, right, you know, there was this feeling of kind of being rescued, of being saved, right? When Obama got into the White House, it was like, oh, he's going to come and he's going to do it all. He's going to he's going to save us. He's going to turn us around and he's going to make all the right choices and get us off the path we're on. Um, and and then fast forward to, you know, 2016 and there was the you know, the complete opposite. It was like, oh my God, now there's this, this crazy person, this, you know, power hungry, you know, dangerous person at the helm. And he definitely is not going to do anything that is, is going to build the kind of country that I want to live in. And so in a way, I mean, it mobilized people. I watched people get politically active that, had never been politically active in their lives, you know, like I, I married a, you know, a surfer who's just like, you know, he's part, part eight years old, part 80, you know, like he just, he wants to be in the ocean. He wants to make art. He wants to be in nature. He's like, I don't want to get drowned in all that, you know, shit show of politics. And he was, it was bad enough that he was like, okay, I'm, I'm paying attention now. Like things are bad. What do I need to do? Um, and you saw that a lot. You know, there was something powerful about having not, you know, I mean, charismatic figure, yes, but, <laughs> you know, knowing that the change that you wanted to see was not going to happen from the top. And so you saw all of a sudden this groundswell of people um, coming from the bottom of the, of the power structure and saying, we're, we're going we're gonna to make the changes. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for not just looking to the top of the pyramid, I guess, you know, just for, for that type of wide sweeping systemic change that we're all, you know, hoping for. <laughs> so. Well, it has to start at the bottom. Yeah. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, as a society have fallen asleep at the wheel in some regard. It's by design. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, if you, it's just, I mean, just, you know, the cost of living right now, you know. Well, it's, it's hard like, to pay attention to politics when food is so expensive gas is so expensive how do you pay attention to these these more abstract concepts when you're just trying to get by mm -hmm. day to day well and then you know we all carry these little things around in our pocket that are like you know instant dopamine dispensers and um and it, it, at heart we just want to feel good you know so it's way easier just to kind of like i don't know go play words with friends or you know double click on a bunch of pictures of strangers or whatever <laughs> than it is to turn towards the immense difficulties that we're facing, you know, like that shit's hard, you know, and there's no clear path to, to wide sweeping change, you know, um, it's a lot easier. And again, I think it's by design. Um, you know, it's interesting when they, you know, they, they're passing all the, you know, like the new student loan forgiveness plan. And I remember seeing, you know, um, you know, some, 
someone tweeted um, basically like that, you know, they were giving away at a time when recruitment is really, really low, you know, they're giving away one of the, the, um, the, the army, the Navy, the big selling forces. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it's the idea is like, you know, if we can keep people poor, if we can keep people indebted, if we can keep people distracted, if we can just keep people busy, until they die, <laughs> then we up here at the top can just kind of do whatever we want. But we have to make sure that they're not paying attention or they're too tired or they're too overwhelmed or they're or they're just, you know, too busy watching Netflix to 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 lean in and and start to, you know, overturn the the oligarchy, <laughs> so to speak. So um, I don't know where I was going with that. But that, <laughs> but that is a big issue. I just I was reading an article the other day that across all of the armed forces, recruitment is is at an all-time low. And now you do have the idea, which is the flip side, in that not only will taking away those student loans decentivize people from joining the military, but it's also this idea that it's not fair because they, I had to pay mine back and now you don't have to pay yours back? No. Which is a concept I always struggle with. You mm. would think that you you struggled so that your kids wouldn't have to struggle. Like you went through this process, you didn't enjoy it. Nobody likes paying back student loans, mm -hmm. and yet you want pe you want that to be propagated to the next generation. If it doesn't have to be, well, and it may not even be generational. You know, if I'm thirty five and just oh, made my student lo my last student loan payment, yeah. and you're like, oh, I just got you know a third of my stuff. <laughs> it is like you're not my kid you know <laughs> like i don't i'm not invested yeah, screw in you, you. why yeah, are you getting exactly. it wiped? and again that's that kind of toxic culture of individualism which we're you know is part of how we're entrained in this country to be is you know look out for yourself you know we're not you know it's i mean if you just look at like the you know the covid response you know it's like it quickly dissipated down into um you know, we went from like, everybody stay home, look out for each other. You know, this is the way that we practice caring for one another. Or, you know, when masks became a thing and it was like, yeah, yeah, this is how we do community care to eventually like, you know, screw you. This mask is uncomfortable. I don't like breathing my own air or, you know, we, we, we don't have a very good, um, track record or even practice or even pathway to follow for how we do, you know, collective care in this country. So yeah, it's very easy to, you know, rather than look at the bigger picture and think, oh, if I have people, you know, all my neighbors and the generation coming up after me isn't drowning in debt and is able to like put their efforts towards, you know, some of the systemic changes we need, then actually we all benefit. You know, it's so much easier to zero in on that one piece. It's like, why do you get gum and I don't have gum? I had to buy my own gum. Like, um, it's what the culture teaches us, you know? It's like, worry about you. That's that's your biggest, you know, biggest thing you can do. It's just... the only thing. It's the most important thing. You, putting yeah. you first. And the idea of collective care, even in COVID, I think it started out, with good intentions that people were actually looking out for each other. But it seemed like it v was co-opted pretty quick. And it just became this catch-all guilt trip of, I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you don't listen, you are now a bad person. Mm. And and we need, to, we need to deal with you. 
But yeah, what do you think on that? You know, I to me, you know, so th- you know, obviously, you know, a, a lot of parents, right, have had a lot of different feelings about masking and and vaccine mandates and stuff like that. And I agree, you know, once you get a certain level of bureaucracy and you know, a toxic government that doesn't truly represent or care for the needs of its people involved and see, overseeing the program, like, yeah, it, it is going to be tainted, absolutely. Um, and especially, you know, you involve for-profit medicine in the deal. Like, yeah, it's, there's it just starts so many bad players at the table all of a sudden. Um, I mean, but, you know, and granted, so my, my child is is neurotypical. She's she's doesn't have any physical disabilities, you know, so she's she's doing fine. Um, no special needs there. And so she the masking was not a problem. You know, it wasn't affecting her learning. I mean, no one wants to wear the damn thing. But one thing that I noticed, you know, is it was teaching her really, really at this young age about consent, you know, because we would learn how to go into a place and and ask, you know, can I hug you? Um, do you want me to do you want me to put my mask on? Would that make you feel safer? Because I I don't I may not need this thing. You know, I, I'm in a body that doesn't have special special needs. I'm in a body that doesn't have, you know, immunocompromised stuff going on. But maybe you are in a body. Maybe you're in contact with a beloved elder who is going through chemo or something, you know, so it really no one loved masks, you know, I was just, I was actually having a fun time earlier in my house today, like, you know, throwing away old ones, because I was like, I don't think we're wearing these anymore. Yeah. But I think we missed in the process, there was this important process happening where we were inadvertently learning about pausing, not just doing the thing we want to do because it's easiest and most comfortable for us, but like connecting with the person in front of us, what do I need to do to make you feel safe? What do I need to do to make you okay so that we can be together in this space? And I mean, what, I think that's a beautiful thing to learn, you know? I, I, I hope that she carries that with her into other avenues of her life. You know, I hope she encounters other people who are willing in one form or another to be like, what do you, you know, to ask those questions, what do you need from me to feel safe? What do you need from me to feel fully welcome here in this environment? And in a way, um, some of our safety COVID protocols, you know, were ways of, of, you know, learning that together. Do you think that that gets dangerous when it gets extreme? And that there's this, this quote that I love, and I cannot remember who it's by, but it's, prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And it seems like, Mm. especially even prior to COVID, we were trying to conform the world to this place that it isn't. Almost like bubble wrapping the world, right? So everybody's got to be nice to you. Everybody has to... Raising little snowflake children. I I wouldn't phrase it like (laughs) that, but that is the trope, right? Is we're we're creating a generation of, of soft snowflakes. You know, I think, you know, it's a good question. Um, I definitely, and I think it's, maybe it's a little early to say, frankly. Um, You know, it's interesting. So a lot of, you know, the practices that I engage with, you know, particularly, you know, when I'm, I'm, you know, facilitating small groups and stuff at like the fellowship, um, 
you know, I go through a practice of, you know, I ask people to say their preferred pronouns. Um, and that's just become common practice. I mean, like if I'm working with teenagers, they're like, boom, 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 you know, and they have, they, it's no thing. Um, you know, even my kids, she's kind of just learning. She, you know, doesn't use that in, in most circles, but there's places she's like, okay, yeah, preferred pronouns. Um, I get some pushback from from some people who are, you know, qu quite a bit older, you know, in their 70s. It's just not a lot, but some just like, this is ridiculous. And again, it's a thing of creating a space where everyone feels welcome because the assumption, the, because the other end of that is just assuming, you know, I look at you and say, okay, I know who you are. You know, like you don't get to define who you are. I get to define who you are according to my rubric. You know, it's just like, because you have facial hair, you must be this. Because you have, you know, like dark eyes, you must be this. And it gets into this slippery slope of like, you know, all of a sudden I'm defining from my limited perspective, you know, as a white middle-aged woman, I'm defining who you are rather than letting you tell me actually no. I don't fit into that category. I, I'm this, even though you can't see it immediately. Um, and so I think, you know, my generation wasn't raised with anything like that. You didn't get to define who you were, you know? It's like you were who they told you to be. And I think that did a lot of harm. Um, and so maybe maybe we're in a moment where we're overcorrecting, you know, swing. we're we're being really, really delicate, and we're we're learning all these new ways of relating and languaging and creating space together, and and it, you know, at times can feel a little bit like, oi, you know, like you know, how many letters are in the LGBTQIA? I mean, like, and I think it's a necessary passage that we're moving through. Um, is that the kind of thing that's going to create? delicate breakable children or and adults i don't i don't think so i don't think so if anything i think telling them you know i think if anything you know giving them everything they want for christmas you know which was like the practice you know probably is still the practice you know like in the 90s you know um i think yeah it's like spoiling them through, you know, consumption and all of that, you know, that, that I think is going to raise, you know, pretty unresilient humans. But I think teaching them to be sensitive and, and inclusive and respectful and seeking consent, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to do any harm in the long run is my feeling right now. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, and obviously I don't have kids, so I'm, I'm just you know, throwing spitballs, but it's, it's interesting watching the change in society, especially when it comes to gender and gender conformity and putting people in these boxes. I think part of me thinks that the only reason we're swinging this far now is because society as a whole is, it was pretty good. We're, we definitely have a lot of problems, and I always have to say that because we do. We have things we need to work on as a society and things we need to change and people we need to help. But as a whole, I think society, and pre-COVID, I think society was pretty, pretty okay. You didn't have to worry about a lot of things. We had the veneer of society and in the sense of safety and, you know, you can walk outside and most times you're going to be okay and mm. you can go to work and you can do these things and you can have a social life and you're going to be okay. You might struggle a little bit and it might get hard, but 
you're going to be okay. And there's another quote that hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. And I think we're kind of towards the end of that process where we have the good time and we might be creating people that are going to take us back to a hard time. I think a wake-up call would be a war. We're kind of dancing on a lot of fronts with that now. I think that would be a wake-up call in that things like real struggle is out there and real hardship and and war I think is a great provider of a very unfortunate side of humanity seeing what people are really capable of I th- it's interesting in that now and maybe for the first time we can really see a lot of the documentation of that I mean you have people tiktoking out of Ukraine mm. which how crazy mm. is that you're in a war yeah. zone and you're seeing live feed from that war we've never had that we've had clips from world war ii that are you know black and white or have been colorized but it's never been live it's never been right there that you can just reach out oh here's a live video of somebody getting shot or of these people torturing this person or doing these atrocities i'm interested to see how that affects our psyche if that if it progresses if it stays where it is if we shut it down and keep moving like we were before well yeah, so I guess there's, there's a couple of things I want to, like, touch on there. I, I It's interesting. So to my mind, pre-COVID, I don't think things were okay, you know. In, in my, I was one of those people early on when the world literally shut down. I was like, maybe this is, this will be what the moment. Well, I mean, you know, to my vantage point, we were, we're in in a moment of collapse, you know, the systems we have in place, our economic systems, our, um, our energy systems, you know, pretty much every way we are doing this thing of being human on the planet is completely untenable. You know, like we have been taking resources at a rate, you know, out of the earth at a rate much greater than we can replenish them. You know, we have been, trying to extract more and more and more from, you know, the working class while, you know, the wealth gap climbs. And so, I mean, and creating, you know, more and more disconnection and disillusionment and conflict amongst, you know, just humanity as a, so, I mean, to my mind, yeah, things weren't okay pre-COVID, you know, so there, I was definitely one of those people that was just like, I don't want to go back to what we had. That was not a utopian thing. That was very dystopian. It was more comfortable, you know, but it wasn't, um, there wasn't, to my mind, anything okay about what we, you know, and if anything, you know, it was one of those people early in the pandemic that was like, this is going to be the great shift, you know, like we're going to, you know, things, certain systems are going to collapse. We're going to be able to like, you know, rebuild from the ashes and create this new, you know, new way forward. And if anything, it's just, you know, gotten, it's, and these, you know, you mentioned the the bit about, you know, getting live feeds from Ukraine. If information was the only thing it took to change people, I think we would have made the kind of changes we need to already, you know. Um, we know now, I mean, because that's the whole, like, you know, be, great hope of like you know all of silicon valley right it's just like more information more data you know like at quicker speeds you know people will have all the information all the time 
And it hasn't made us more humane. It hasn't made us more compassionate. It hasn't made us stop in our tracks and go, oh my God, what is happening? What have we become? And and what can I do about it? You know, more information has not done that. If anything, it's just, it's made it all one big hodgepodge. It's like, oh, here's something horrible. Keep scrolling. Oh, here's something kind of, kind of, you know, here's, here's what, you know, um, Trevor Noah has to say about the situation. Oh, keep scrolling, you know, and, and we just keep scrolling and there's nothing that lands inside of our heart, which I think is where any real shift needs to to originate, you know? So, um, I even forget how we started this piece of the conversation, but I just, I don't know. If it'll bring about the change that people want. I I suspect not, you know, I don't think, you know. We're definitely desensitized. There's no argument against that because of what we've seen, because of, well, yeah, predominantly what we've seen, because you have access to see anything. When I'm talking about change, I don't mean it in the terms of getting that information i mean it more so in terms of war itself i think war is a how do i want to phrase this i think war is a a great medium for change in that when you pass through that it is almost impossible for you to stay the same person i would imagine again i'm speaking as someone who has never been to war but just you hear these stories of what soldiers have gone through of what they've done, what they've had to do to survive, what people on the opposite. I mean, take a look at World War II and, and the gassings. Take a look at World War One and the trench warfare and what that looked like. The Vietnam War. I mean, look if you look back at how horrific those were and it tracks that it's just getting more horrific but in a different sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could go through that and experience that and be the exact person you were when you went in. I don't think you'd be even close. I think it would have to instill in you. Well, and I and I think statistically, change. if you look at you know veterans coming home from any of our our recent wars, I mean, we know they they're not the same people that went yeah. in. You know, they're dealing with serious trauma and post traumatic stress disorder, and and they don't have the resources available to to reintegrate and to be part of this this society. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, maybe it's going to take a war in order to, to, to shake us up. You know, it seems to me, you know, some of the thing, the pieces of that are like, you know, what, what are the things that, that bond you in uh, together as soldiers in a war is like, you know, you believe you have a common enemy. Um, you believe um, because someone has told you and, you know, you've taken it into your being as gospel truth that you are on the right side and you're fighting for something that is true and good and, you know, will save <laughs> the world as we know it. Um, and and you're bonded by trauma because you're seeing unspeakable shit every single day that no one else in civilian life understands. And so, I mean, if that's if those are the terms that we're looking at, we're there, you know, if you're a black person living in America, you know, you are living under the conditions of war, you know, if you are... That's a pretty broad statement, don't you think? Uh... I would say it's not, here's the thing, it's not great. There's definitely systemic racism and there are definitely factors in that, even factors that, you know, branch across race. And Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that the common underlying theme is 
is economic status. Yeah. That's the biggest one. We can call it race. We can call it these other things. But your economic status is really going to determine well, most and, of life. I but mean, here's, so- here's the thing. You in this country, and this is why I say we're doing pretty good, you can overcome that. A black person can be president. A, you know, oh. an Asian person can be CEO. But there, I mean. You can over, but this is w- almost the one country that- where you can do that, though, where you can rot. You have poor people every day that rise up and become a millionaire. It's hard and it's, it's not easy. And there are a lot of sacrifices that you go through to get there. That's why most people don't. But it's almost like when you were 16 and you have that door open, it's the possibility of this is something that you can achieve. Mm. That is unique, I think, to us in a lot of ways. Mm. If you go to these other countries, especially in the Middle East, they're still beheading people for being gay. And here we are where... And I get the comparison thing. That's a dangerous road to go down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think it is also important in that it shows you how far you have come. Right? Not necessarily as a society, but as a people. So so I think I, I would argue, I mean, statistically, I think, you know, just looking at, you know how the cost of living has skyrocketed over the last 30 years and wages have basically you know over the you know the whole country have stagnated since like you know the the late 80s early 90s i would say that that kind of great american hope that myth of upward mobility and anybody can be president anybody can rise to be a millionaire um i i would argue that it's exactly that a myth um, and it's another way to kind of keep people like nose to the grindstone, working 50, 60 hour weeks, you know, so that maybe one day they can achieve that hope. Um, I would go so far as to say that it's actually a lie, um, that the statistics don't actually support that at this point in time. Um, that's my 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 vantage point. And, you know, beyond, um, you know, beyond just even the, the race issue, I think just, you know, back to that, you know, question of, you know, is the war here? You know, look at look at the effects of climate change and the people that are being driven from their homes. Look at like, you know, what's happening in, um, you know, <laughs> look at Pakistan, look at China, look at, um, you know, the people in Kentucky, right, who are never going to recover um, the, the homes and the, the valuables that they've lost might be permanently displaced. You know, look at look at all the people globally who are being displaced by um by climate change, you know, and we're just beginning to see that unfurl. Um, you know, look at all the people who want to basically strip all Americans of their voting rights, you know, who fall under the, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene and, you know, Trump camps who, um, you know, want to take, you know, they believe they have the right way to to do this country um, and they're willing to fight for it, you know, and even so far as to like rewrite our constitution in order to do it. I, I think the war is here. Um, I just don't know that it's showing up in a way that is instantly recognizable to us um, is my, my thought on that. So I, We're definitely on shaky ground. We're definitely on shaky ground. And I don't know if, again, that just ties back to things were good and now they're going bad as the cycle continues. Or we have just become so desensitized to everything that we're going to sleepwalk into danger. I don't, I don't know. But I think I, I, I don't know if I'm just naive because I'm 24 and so I want to be 
more idealistic than than is good for me or you know you look at the world with some tinge of rose-colored glasses i hearing you talk about the american dream and how it's kind of fading or if it was a facade from the start i've heard that a lot from people that have come on here and that worries me (laughs) it really does because if we don't have these it worries me because i want to believe that it's true i want to believe that it is hard and it's difficult and it's not for everyone unfortunately it's just not because most people won't put in the work that is required to get there and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i want to believe that it's still achievable and i want us to believe in these these fundamental values of our country and that we can all come together and we can achieve these great things and your neighbor might look different from you they might have a different background but they're still your neighbor and you should care for them and you should love them and we should lift each other up because we are a country and we are a people and together we are stronger than we are separate and when i hear people talk about how these ideals are dying and and we don't have that connect it worries well, me cuz where do we where do we go from that right. if we start losing our connection as a country and that breaks down and then we start losing our connection as a people what happens to the country do we just fall apart is unity being broken down to a point where we can't save it is that where we go so so again i think it, it almost kind of circles back to that earlier conversation around you know can can you keep someone constrained inside a system or a house or a religion um based on a false narrative based on only giving them a very tiny portion of the truth of the, you know, because if we look at, you know, if we're talking about the foundation of this country, all those things written into the Bill of Rights, those were never true for, those weren't true for, that wasn't true for indigenous people. That wasn't true for if you were a person in a black body, that wasn't true for women, you know, it was true for wealthy white land owning men. Um, So, so our ideals have never been carried out in practice. You know, there were these really, really very aspirational, wonderful things on paper. And I agree, you know, let's, let's work towards that. But let's, we can't just say, oh, th- this is what our country's founded on. This is what we have, you know, have been. Let's return to this. It's not a returning. It's a it's a, a rectifying, it's a coming, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, for lack of a better term, it's a come to Jesus moment of actually looking at the truth of our origins and what kind of violence and, you know, horrible things did we have to, um, as those of us as, you know, the, um, the you know, the, the coming generations of, you know, our ancestors, you know, if you're a white identifying, you know, it was my ancestors, right, that that perpetrated a lot of this, you know, genocide and stealing of land. And so, I mean, these were never the things that we were truly founded on. They were ideals that we we ascribe to, again, right, that thing about talking about what we believe in. But we never, from the get-go, we have never embodied it. And so maybe it's not so much about a returning to a unity, a false unity, because it was not a unity. I mean, like, if you were an indigenous, you know, Native American, quote-unquote, person, 
there was no unity. There was a, you know, we're going to take your land and we're going to force you onto the most undesirable piece of this continent that we can find for you. And we are going to force you to sign this treaty, right? If you are a person in a black body, like same thing, like you don't have any rights. There's no unity. You get to can be conscripted into this role, whether you like it or not, so that this segment of the society can have a false sense of peace, a false sense of flourishing, a false sense of of unity. Everything's exactly how, you know, and we will use religion too. God wants it this way. You know, God made the black person, the brown person less than the white person so that they could, you know, work on our behalf for this great nation. So it's like, you know, it's the same thing I think of like leaving your childhood religion once you finally see, oh, that's not the whole truth of the story. That was this tiny sliver that kept me behaving in a certain way, right? And so it's we almost need to apply that to the whole way that we're looking at our current situation is we can't keep going back to this old false narrative and expect to get a different result. We need to be doing be willing to do that brave work of unraveling the narrative and looking at some of the really really dark origins of our our story. And then, you know, through that reparations, that healing, that, you know, coming to terms with and making amends for, we only get there through that, you know, like. um, Yeah, I don't believe in these ideals as a set of things we should return to. I think it's a mark that we're striving for. I don't think we've ever hit it. And quite frankly, I don't know if we ever will hit it, but it's the idea that each generation we're getting better. We're trying to be more. We're trying to get closer. The idea that they created the Bill of Rights back then. It is an incredible piece of work. And what it stands for is incredible. Did they implement it the way that they wrote it back then? Absolutely not. But could we, are we implementing it better today? Yeah. I don't, Mm. are we, are we a hundred percent? No. Will we be a hundred percent tomorrow? Probably not. But can we be more tomorrow than we are today? That's what, that's the line of thinking that I subscribe to. And that it's not perfect. It has never been perfect. But if we're better tomorrow than we were today or yesterday, I think that is progress. And I think people get a little, I don't know if it's jaded or frustrated in the sense that that speed of progress isn't quite where they would want it to be. They want it, they want us to fix the problem today and have it not be a problem tomorrow but some problems take time they take time because people aren't interested they take time because it's just the size of the prog the problem the size of turning the ship that's a big one where we are a country of 300 and something million people to change things that have been generational or institutional it's hard work and you have to start with you know the people at the bottom and work your way up and I think it gets dangerous when people want that to happen faster than it does. Not than it should, because change, I mean, take racism, that should not be a problem today. It just shouldn't. We know too much. We've experienced too much. You have all the information in your pocket. The idea that you still think someone is less or different than you because they're, like, that's just, that's like Scientology, but more dumb. I guess. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, I want to just touch on, you know, what you say about kind of the big ship. And I I think that is like... Is that a cop out? Do you is that no no no? Oh. I, I actually no because I, I do I look, you know, as an as one individual with limited 
time, money, you know, status in this this society, you know, I have very limited influence to to steer that size of a ship, you know. If I have I have none, you know, I will say that <laughs> I have none. Um and so I think, you know, that that knowing is kind of what drives the other type of work that I want to do in this world. It's it's why I want to be involved in small communities that are values driven, that are like coming together and saying, this is the kind of world that we want to live in. Um, what are we going to do about it? And it might just look like, you know, as, as small, quote unquote, as like a community garden. It might look as small as like having really deliberate, heartfelt conversations about how we're parenting, you know, and how we're teaching values of inclusion and accessibility, um, you know, teaching our kids to be anti-racist. And, um, you know, it's because I, I know I have so little <laughs> ability to help steer the big ship that I'm really, really invested in the little ships, if we're staying with that analogy, you know, that I'm a part of, because I know I can have an impact. I know that I can help be a part of important micro-movements and conversations, Um and I and I don't know that there's any other way really to to jettison change. It, it happens, right? Is you have to turn the smaller ones first before you can tackle the big one. You can't just turn the ship that of this size. You have well, to start with the people and these communities, right. and then you change one person, and then that person changes someone. Yeah. And soon you've changed a city, and then you've changed a state, and then you've got the country. Yeah. You just can't start with the country. There's too many people. It's just not. It's not as feasible as it was back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, we were a lot smaller group of people when we first started Yeah. It was easier <laughs> to get something done. There were like 50 people and you're <laughs> right next to each other and you just write some new shit on a piece of paper and that's hey. the lot of land. Yeah. We yeah. can't do that anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I think ultimately... Um, yeah, I, I get really inspired by... There's that quote by Buckminster Fuller where he talks about, you know, like you don't you don't create change by trying to rewrite the existing system you know you create something that is so completely different and so much more beautiful and better and you know altogether separate than what we have now that there's no other choice but to turn towards that that new idea that new alternative so I think that's what drives a lot of my the tiny tiny little work that I do well it's easy to see that you're passionate about it and that it sounds like that's big passion behind working with Huff is using that as an outreach tool and trying to make those changes and be the change that you want to see, which I think is important. I think that's what most people want. Well, and I think it's too, you know, it's like, and, you know, here you are with, you know, you've done all the work to like outfit this place and, and, and do the very hard work of like interviews and editing and, you it's know, not all that the, bad. I mean, there are worse, there are worse thing. jobs for no sure. No one's like, here, here's this money, go do this thing. Like you are self-electing to create this. And I think it just speaks to, again, that thing, it's like, you know, we, we all feel on some level and you know it gets more as as I get older as i'm learning like you become very much aware we're like whoa okay i only get one shot at this like what do i want to do with it um but i think there's this feeling we want to you know beyond the american dream of success or a certain you know level of economic security is like we want to feel like what we did with this you know gift of being in a human body for however long we get to be you know we left something behind that holds a meaning for us, you know? Um, 
and I think that's, you know, that's why you're doing this. <laughs> that's why, you know, I, I do what I do. And, and so many other people is because I think they're driven by that need to know that when they, you know, they have their own dream beyond the American dream is like, when I look back on my life, I want to know that I did something that held meaning and purpose. Um, even if it was just really good parenting. And I want to, I want to go not say just, you know, like, cause that's a big thing. Right. You know, even if it was a, you know, it was a, it was a podcast, it was a part-time job. It was a, you know, it was, it was a partnership. It was a tiny little business that made people feel good and didn't, you know, like rape the earth in the process, you know, I think at the end of the day, just it's, is it's this, all these little, little sparks, you know, wanting to, to make something meaningful while we're here. So. Money and success will only get you so far. You need to find that thing that that fills you up and makes you feel like it's all worth it and that you're maybe not even giving back in a sense, but you're doing something that holds meaning to you. You have to find whatever that thing is, whatever form it takes, you have to find that. Otherwise, it's all, well, I mean, what are you doing? What's the point of it all? Okay, well, Amy, that was all. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. I had a lot of fun. I did too. Thank you. I'm so impressed that you just off the cuff with all your questions. Yeah, That's I really... just, yeah. <laughs> You're just, just like, just whatever comes to me in the moment yeah. is the right thing. Yeah. That's great. Um, do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find Huff? Oh, goodness. Outreach. Yes. Um, if this conversation, this wide ranging conversation that is only one, you know, little tributary of a representation of the people you will find at the fellowship. If it has compelled you to look more into that community, um, yeah, you can go to our website, huuf.org. Um, it'll just show you what we got going on with Sunday services and community programs and stuff for families and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, yeah, if you want to go back and check out the podcast that's just living there, there's that too. So, okay, and what was the name of the podcast again? Mendpodcast.com is where you'll find that one. So, mend, yeah. Okay. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Really, thank I appreciate you, it. Yeah.